I want to encourage you as we begin this new series called Resurrection Stories that there is a power in telling your story. There's power in telling any story, but there's there's a special, unique thing that happens when you tell your story. Stories can take big ideas and they can make them real personal to people. Stories can get us asking questions about things that really matter. Stories can help us to examine ourselves. It helps us examine our experience, kind of think about what we believe. A few stories that shaped everything that we know as part of our culture uh, was written by some amazing authors. You know, there are certain stories that really just we all know but you're not, you're not always sure where they came from. You just, they're part of the ethos of where we live and kind of how we think and how we operate. And so I wouldn't just, throughout the, throughout the centuries, literature tells stories. Movies tell stories. And so there's some really powerful ones. One of them is Homer's Odyssey. You might have, uh, you might have studied that in high school. Uh, the Odyssey, it's the basic story template for the quest or the journey, the narrative that's shaped all of really Western society. It challenges uh, our assumptions about war and about relationships, about virtue and what defines home. It is this context. It, it has great male and female characters showing the worst of humans in many respects. If you think about all the, all the stories you love and some of the movies you love, Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, uh, Stand By Me, if you know that movie, it's a classic, um, and even, even the Mario movie comes from, comes from this context, and there's a thousand others. It come, the, the, the Odyssey is this story that influenced all these other stories. Another one is uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. <laughs> Some of you are like, that was a book? I didn't know that. Yes, yes, I, I re- well, I remember being a little kid and watching the, one of the original black and white Frankensteins. I couldn't sleep for weeks. It was terrible. But m- this is so interesting. Mary Shelley, she wrote it when she was 19 years old as part of a contest among friends. And, um, and it made her the mother of all science fiction. That's what she became. The book differs from the movie, you know, with Boris Karloff, but thematically, what it does is it explores life and death and the pride that drives us and the role that morality and ethics begins to play in science, which is a really common issue for everybody, for all of us in this very technologically advanced world. It's the birthplace. This Frankenstein is the birthplace of so many sci-fi stories and films. Um, Do you ever ever watch RoboCop? I don't know what it is about RoboCop, man. People love RoboCop. It's like this one-off movie. Um, And then they remade it and it wasn't very good. But anyway, uh, Blade Runner, Edward Scissorhands, It's uh, even the, the, there's a new movie out called Megan. Have you seen this? Yeah. (laughs) Some of you are like, what? What are you talking about? It's a a doll that kind of becomes human. It's really disturbing. Um, 
the whole, listen, the whole Jurassic Park series was a question about how far should we push science? What is the role of ethics and morality in this, in life? You know, in Jurassic Park, that's where the famous line, life finds a way. Here's another one, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. It was written in 1906. Frankenstein was written in 1818. Did you know that? That's amazing. 1906, The Jungle was written. It's a novel that follows an immigrant family in Chicago, and, and it, um, it reveals the living conditions and specifically follows this main character at his job in a meatpacking plant. And The Jungle made the public aware of how bad things were inside this meatpacking plant, how filthy, how disgusting and dangerous to both the workers and to the public. It led to the federal government passing the Meat Inspection Act of 1906 and the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906. This story had a profound effect on just our whole culture here in America. Uncle Tom's Cabin, of course, most of you have heard of this book if you haven't read it, by Harriet Beecher Stowe. It is one of the first widely read political novels in the United States and the first work of fiction that openly addressed the cruelty of slavery and the human exploitation of what was happening in our country and the faults of in the, inside the legal system. It radically influenced the perception uh, of slavery in the US and, 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 it, and really worldwide. It wasn't just in the United States. And it impacted how people voted based on these related issues. And so I want you to see that these four stories influenced everything you are, everything you know, everything you have context for. You can find their origin here in these four stories. Stories are powerful. And what I want to tell you today is the road of the disciple is paved with story. The road of the disciple is paved with story. Understanding stories helps us understand and retell what we read in the scriptures. Jesus taught stories. He, he, they were called parables. He did it all the time. He very rarely stood up and talked like this. That's kind of a thought. I just started thinking through that. Tell, telling your story, telling a story and then letting people glean the truths from it is what Jesus did all the time. I think it's what he calls us to do. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony is a phrase from the final book in the Bible called Revelation. And there's something about our testimony. We, we did it last week where we, where we stood up, we wrote a, uh, our testimony on that little card and people came up and shared their testimony and it was powerful because they were willing to speak it. Something happens when you speak it. And so I want you to <clears throat> realize that Jesus' resurrection changed everything. And the story of his death, his burial, and his resurrection changed everything. And when you experience resurrection life, it changes everything. And you must tell your story. We must tell our stories. Here's how the Apostle Paul described it to his friends in the city of Colossae. 
He, in Colossians 2, 14 through 15, he said, when you were, I'll, I'll read it from the message version. Okay, it's a kind of a modern day translation. He says, when you were stuck in your old sin dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. That's a good line, isn't it? He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Some of you are like, whoa, whoa, what was happening here? What are we talking about? Eugene Peterson is translating this original language into more of a story. You can read it in the NIV or the ESV and you'll see, you'll kind of see it hinted at. But when conquerors came home from their battles in foreign lands, they would bring the king that they conquered or the rulers they conquered and they would have a parade through the streets dragging that king, naked, embarrassed, ashamed through the streets. They wouldn't kill him. They'd embarrass him first. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, don't let your enemy, the enemy that's been conquered, Satan himself, don't let him have any authority. It's all fake authority. It's a sham authority. Christ has already conquered him. Christ has already finished the deal. The resurrection finished it. Now what you have to do is embrace resurrection life. And that, what that looks like is you parading through the streets, worshiping King Jesus because the devil's just being dragged through the streets naked and embarrassed and ashamed. But somehow we don't get that. <clears throat> but do you see how powerful that story is? You're gonna go home, you're gonna talk about that over lunch. You see, resurrection life is a powerful story. When Jesus told his disciples he sent them out into the world, what did he give them? He gave them authority. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, then Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, when you see the word therefore, you gotta look and see what's there for. Authority, he has authority, he's giving it to you. Therefore, you can go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, what we're doing today and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's what takes a lot longer. Baptism is a one-time dunk. Obedience is a lifelong lesson. And he says, and surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Listen, you, we are resurrection people and we tell resurrection stories. Amen. And so this series, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna kind of release you and we're gonna talk about resurrection stories but the goal here is that we would learn how to tell our resurrection stories better. Once again, the apostle Paul in his letters to the Romans, he says, in Romans 8, 11, he says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives where? Let's make it personal. In me, say it, in me. In me, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by that same spirit living within you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead empowers you in every way, in every area of your life, in everything you do. You gotta make room for him. No one understood this better than the apostle Peter who had to learn the hard way, right? He had to learn the hard way. 
In his moment of testing, he was overcome with fear and he even denied he knew Jesus. But later, when he writes his letter, in 1 Peter, he says three, in, in verse, uh, chapter three, verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, the conquering king, the Lord, the savior, the master. He is over all, he has conquered death, hell, and the grave. Always, notice what he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then he coaches you on it. Check it out. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Oh, that American Christians could obey this scripture. You guys, this is our test. This is our struggle. This is our challenge. I want you to see that he outlines three things here in telling your story. Number one, you tell it with gentleness and respect. This is how Jesus treated you, by the way. He treats you with gentleness and respect. He's not hard on you. He doesn't get angry at you. He doesn't yell and scream at you. He doesn't post on your Facebook page the argument that is so true that it's undeniable. I want you to know this, that gentleness and respect requires some kind of relational quotient. You can't even measure gentleness and respect if you don't have a relational dynamic. Number two, keep a clear conscience. Oh yeah, this is a problem. Hey, this is a problem, but this is what Jesus did for you. He cleansed your conscience by his blood and by his By his sacrifice, he washes your conscience clean. That's what Hebrews says. You can have a clean conscience. Oh, what about all my mistakes? What about my mistakes? Oh, Jesus died for that. Well, I've just made so many mistakes over and over again. Oh, his death was once for all. Once for everybody. Once for everything. So that means you are forgiven, healed, set free, even if you can't quite discover it yet. Even if you haven't quite discovered it yet. You can can let your conscience be cleansed by what Jesus did. And then good behavior. Everybody say good behavior. Good behavior, not bad behavior. By the way, you don't create your own good behavior. This is something that Jesus empowers you to do by his spirit. He, He empowers you to behave as you should. Left to yourself, it's really bad. Bad manners, just bad, 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 bad. You, but with Jesus, he empowers you to this kind of good behavior. So it's just, you see this all the way through the scripture. So today, we're gonna to look at a one story, and it's a, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. It's in Luke chapter 24. You can join me there if you want to, uh, on the message notes or in your Bible. <clears throat> and we're gonna look at this famous passage called the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus. Let's start in verse 13. Are you guys with me? All right, let's, let's read it. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Two of them. Uh, these are two disciples. Two disciples are on this uh, journey, uh, 
going seven miles from Jerusalem to this little village called Emmaus. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened over the weekend. You guys do that? It's like, it's like wa- this is water cooler talk. You know, this on Monday, everything that happened over the weekend, he's like, wow, can you believe that? What happened? And, and what, what had happened over the weekend is Jesus had died. Well, Jesus had died and he'd been put in a tomb. And so they're discussing this. Verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now, this is an interesting thing, and this happens a couple of times in post-resurrection Jesus. I'm assuming that, you know, Jesus gets his resurrected body, and uh, later on in this chapter, he appears in a room suddenly. (laughs) He kind of walks through walls. Like, there's something going on here where he can kind of keep it hidden, right? And so he does. And I think you also have to acknowledge that there's no way they would have expected Jesus to show up and walk with them on this path. Which is a problem, right? So verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, why, what are you discussing together as you walk along? I just love it. Jesus is like, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still. They, they, you can imagine, they're walking. What are you guys discussing? And they're like, says they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? He's kind of like, turn on the news, man. You don't know what's going on? Where are you? Get out from under your rock. Or you must be from out of town. Verse 19, I love this. Look what Jesus says. What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Oh, that line. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. They were bewildered. They were trying to reorient to a new reality a new reality that hadn't yet been revealed. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow. (laughs) This is a nice Jesus. Just Just a stranger walking along. And then how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So they walk part of those seven miles. Jesus just begins to open up the scriptures to them. He begins to explain what had happened and what had led up to this moment. Now, watch this. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. 
But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, when he was at the table with him, he took bread. He gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> this is the weirdest thing. Jesus, what is Jesus doing? He's totally messing with them. Do you know Jesus messes with you? He does. He acted like he was going on. He was messing with them. He disappears right in front of them. And so <clears throat> verse 30 says, uh, oh, or sorry, verse um, 32 says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked about this on the road? And he, as he opened up the scriptures to us, like this is code for, we kind of knew. Did you know? I kind of knew. I kind of sensed something was going on here. But I didn't really, I just think, I, yeah, we, we, we kind of saw it coming. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. <clears throat> they just walked seven miles. Possibly some, if you read some biblical scars, they, they think it might have been 17 miles but they couldn't contain themselves. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The first thing I want you to get about this story is that God is not an impersonal, disconnected deity. He is not some vague God. He reveals his relationship to people through Jesus, through the flesh and blood of Jesus, his desire to be with us through Jesus. Jesus is the face and personality of God's great love. You gotta get this. Jesus is the one. Colossians 1.15 says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. Do you notice the theme that we've developed here? Rulers and authorities, Jesus has come to take over. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the, say it, Supreme. so such a good word. Supreme, not just a great pizza. He has the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All of God's fullness. Everybody say fullness. Everything that God is dwells in Jesus. And through him to reconcile himself, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the one who brings it all together. Jesus is the one who is the central character in the story. Jesus, Jesus somehow breaks into our story. And he reveals himself. He reveals who God is. He brings peace into your heart. Peace between you and God. And peace between you and others. 
where things are broken, he repairs them and brings healing. Listen, the truth is resurrection life should be this thing that we live out every day. It should break into our normal routines. It should break into the, the average dynamic of our day. Life should come and be revealed at the most unexpected moments. Your story has to be ready to be shared unexpectedly. You have to be ready. We have to be ready. I have to be ready. We gotta be ready to share our story. I think everybody should be able to share their story in three to five minutes. Three to, three to five minutes to tell what Jesus has done in your life. Probably you should be able to share it in three to five minutes, 10 minutes, and 20 minutes. Right? Nobody wants to listen to you talk more than 20 minutes. But, it, but <clears throat> I'm trying to remember that, so let's move on. But, the st- but listen, the story is so powerful. So I'm gonna give you three, three, three ideas, all right? The, here's the road to sharing, sharing your story. Here's the road to sharing your story. Number one, sharing your resurrection story requires faith. Sharing it, <laughs> sharing. What's sharing? It's like telling, only it's Christian. <laughs> Just kidding. You share something in your life. You become vulnerable with somebody else. It's, uh, it's more than just telling. It's sharing something of your life. For many of you, resurrection life has already come to you, but you are not operating in it. Like these two guys on the road, the resurrection's already happened, but you're walking along like there's nothing. You're walking along like you're, you, you would hope that just this would be the answer, but no. Jesus is in the middle of your life in circumstances, but you haven't recognized him. You haven't seen him. You haven't made room for him. You've lost hope. You've struggled with your faith. I get that. It happens to us. Today, I want you to, today I want you to maybe realize that Jesus is deeply involved in what's going on in your life if you'll just recognize it, if you'll let him reveal himself. These men on the road to Emmaus, they knew the prophets and the writings of the Old Testament, but Jesus rebukes them, rebukes them for what? He says, how foolish and how slow, slow to believe. How slow to believe. Isn't that what happens to us? We're slow to believe. Instead of grabbing a hold and saying, yes, I believe this, we're slow to believe. Let me ask you this. Why would Jesus have asked, why would, why would Jesus have acted, not asked, but acted like he was going on further? Do you remember that? Remember that in the story? He, it says he acted like he was, why would he do that? Why would he act like he was going on? He was giving them a choice. Would they invite him? Would they invite him into their circumstances? Would they invite him into dinner? Would they, would they invite him into what they were experiencing? Would, he, would they, he, he was, I don't know if it was a test, but it certainly was a choice. And I think God gives you the choice over and over again. We often don't recognize Jesus is there unless we have communion with him. We gotta invite him in by faith. There's a faith to it. You have to believe that he's there. Of course, listen, of course, you will, you'll say all the right things if you know it's Jesus asking the questions. If it's Jesus sitting across from you, you're like, yeah, 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 you look like oh, you're all in. But if you don't know if Jesus is at the table, 
I promise you he's at the table. I promise you Jesus is hidden, the hidden guest at every table you sit at. Family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, Jesus is at the table trying to reveal himself. You gotta have faith for that or you'll never share your story. I want you to ask this, where's Jesus hiding in plain sight in your life? Where's he hiding in plain sight? Let faith drive you. Let, let maybe develop a holy suspicion. A holy suspicion that Jesus is, I always like to say he's working and lurking. He's lurking, he's like. Number two, sharing your resurrection story requires being filled with the story of Jesus. What was the problem with these guys? They were still full of their story. The only story was their story. The only story was what they'd experienced. The only story was losing their hope. And I get that. But this is what resurrection life does. <laughs> it changes the story. <laughs> it totally transforms the story. Their story was limited because they, they, they weren't yet allowing Jesus to define them. Their filter, as they looked on the world, was cloudy. This week, my dryer broke. You guys ever pull the little filter out of the dryer and it's got all the lint? Okay, you know, you gotta take all the lint. I think we have to do that every day in our lives. You're like a dryer, you gotta pull it, get, get rid of the lint. Now you can see. These guys weren't cleaning out their dryer lint. You and I must, be, must empty ourselves of our lives to be filled with the fullness of God. Let me just say this one more time. You and I got to empty our lives to be filled with the fullness of God. Did you know that it's not only Jesus who was filled with God's fullness? Check this out. Are you guys still with me? Did you get distracted by the band? They sound really good. They feel really good. Look at this, Ephesians 3, 17 says, I am a and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, what are we grasping? How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses what? Knowledge or understanding. I, it's not about what you, what you know, it's something deeper, it's something more invasive. It's not just about information. Why, do you, why, does, why does it surpass knowledge? Notice the last statement, that you may be, what? Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You guys, God's fullness in you is the story of the love of Jesus in your life. <laughs> and that means you are compelled to share it. That means you are challenged to share it. That means you are filled with a deep compassion to share it. Last thing is sharing your resurrection, your resurrection story energizes you to do things you've never done before. <laughs> energizes you to do things you've never done before. What happened to those guys? Jesus appears, or, sorry, he's, he's breaking bread, he's praying, and then he disappears, right? And what happens next? They're like, we gotta go back to Jerusalem. So 14 mile round trip at least. They run all the way back to Jerusalem. Here's the thing. People want God to work deeply in their life. They want his energy and strength. They want what God has for their lives, but they're not operating in God's purpose. They're not willing to 
open themselves up to share what God has done and then they don't get the energy that comes from sharing. They don't get the energy of God's grace in your life because they're not willing to speak up. Think about that. Colossians 1.28, I'll end with this. He says, he is the one we proclaim, that's Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. The fullness of God. That's what, that's what we're all working towards. But look at this verse, 29. To this end, I strenuously contend. This is what Paul says. I strenuously contend with all the energy. What energy? I strenuously contend with all the energy. Christ so powerfully works in me. If you think you gotta tell your story on your own, you're mistaken. There's something that God wants to do. He wants to pour his energy in you and through you. But if you choose not to let it flow through you, the energy dissipates. If you choose not to be empowered, empowered, that's a good word. What does it mean? You're empowered to what? To do something. Your story unleashes energy from Christ that starts working in your life in a way that you've never experienced before. I promise. That's what the scriptures teach. You want Jesus to immediately meet you? Start sharing your story. Let's just go to worship here. We're gonna, just gonna spend a few minutes together and I want you to think about what God is doing in your life. And I want the prayer team to come up here uh, today, prayer team and, the, and, and leaders and staff. And we're just gonna worship for a few minutes. And what I want you to think about is what is God doing in your life? And maybe it's like the farthest thing you can think of to tell your story. You're not ready. You don't know what to, even to say. You're kind of fearful. Or you're, Listen, I understand that. Maybe you need to, clear out some of the way before you get to your story but God will meet you there God will meet you right here to heal to engage to share his love to share his life for you to be forgiven for you to be healed for you to get courage and I just felt as I was praying about this last night I was just I just began to think about how afraid people are to share anything about Jesus in our day. They're afraid. They're afraid of what people might think of them. They're afraid of what they might, how they might judge them. They're afraid of the, their politics sort of spilling out and somebody making fun of them, right? Because now everything's politicized, right? And this is kind of our fault. Jesus has been connected to the Republican Party for a while, but he was also connected to the Democratic Party for a while, and they, people use Jesus to try to get their politics done. Jesus didn't have anything to do with that. That's a, that's a very American, messy, nasty thing. And you and I have to, you and I have to, you and I have gotten the burden now of having to deal with this politicized thing. I think God wants to give you boldness today. He wants to give you courage today. And so if that's you, you come up and have one of these people pray for you. If, you gotta, if you're trying to work out something in your life that's really hard, if you need healing in your body, if you need anything with prayer, come up and let's spend some time praying. Come on, stand up with me and let's worship together. Father, we just come to you. 
Lord, we're just, we're just here. We're just waiting for you. Whatever you want to do, have your way. Don't let us miss you. Help us not to miss you. We want to see what you're doing. We want to say what you're saying. We want to, we want to engage with you. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship together.